1: Thanks for listening to The Gist. If you want to check out an ad-free version and bonus content, go to subscribe.mikepesca.com. It is the best way to directly support our endeavors. Hi, it's Mike. It's Saturday. It's a Saturday show. I can prove it. Look at the calendar. See? Isn't it nice to have a weekend without any going forward or going backward? Just luxuriating in the Saturday or the Sunday, if you're listening to it then. Or 2038. I mean, I don't know how podcasts work. I do know this. that whales travel in pods. And this week on the show, on Monday, I talked about whales. And a listener wrote in and he said, they travel in pods and you're a podcast. You didn't make a reference. No, I did not. Is it because I didn't realize that whales travel in pods or because I'm better than that? You decide as you listen not only to that, the best of the week, but a best of all time, which was a year-old episode in which I talked about NCAA March Madness tournament strategy or non-strategy. You don't need a three, people. If you've been watching the basketball, you're going to hear this all the time about how you don't need a three. Well, enjoy these couple of three, actually just a couple of segments forthwith. And now, the spiel. UMEs are afflicting the whale community. UMEs are unusual mortality events, or as the New York Times put it, asked really, why 23 dead whales have washed up on the East Coast since December. Save the whales was a kind of synecdoche for environmentalism itself for many decades. In the 1970s, the slogan was everywhere, including the 1974 movie, Up in Smoke with Cheech and Chong. movie with saving the whales as its theme here's a clip to give you some idea of the tone this is mankind's legacy whales hunted to the brink of extinction virtually gone is the blue whale the largest creature ever to inhabit the earth despite all attempts at banning whaling there are still countries and pirates currently engaged in the slaughter of these inoffensive creatures where the humpback whale once numbered in the hundreds of thousands Today, there are less than 10,000 specimens alive. Grim, and the latest news seems no better. So, that New York Times story about the dead whales was subheaded. Another humpback whale was spotted dead late Monday, floating near a shipping channel between New York and New Jersey, the 13th whale found in the two states in three months. Local prosecutors questioned a suspicious orca. Yeah, it wasn't me. I don't know anything about it. Stick it in your blowhole, coppa. But in all seriousness, and all solemnity and also to step away from my award-winning voice work as the orca, as the Gambino crime family orca, let us consult Yale Environment 360, which is a publication of the Yale School of the Environment, The East Coast Whale Die-Offs Unraveling the Causes. Activists are blaming a recent spate of humpback strandings off New York and New Jersey on seismic exploration by offshore wind companies. But scientists say the deaths are not unusual and are likely due to increased ship traffic and entanglements with fishing gear. Well... Even the scientific explanation doesn't seem benign. It points the finger, or maybe flipper, at mankind itself. And the World Wildlife Fund offers studies which lists the leading cause of whale death as just what you heard there. The same thing as the leading cause of the Silicon Valley Bank explosion. Entanglements. Specifically when whales become entangled in fishing gear. They list the number two cause of death. Opioids. Opioids. Number three, falls. We never think of that, do we? Fish, ocean, mammals, they don't really have to worry about falls, just not a thing in their world, huh? But like those scientists say, no, it has nothing to do with the wind farms, ship strikes. Ship strikes are killing a lot of these whales, which seems like really bad news. It certainly is for one of the struck whales and probably most of the people on those ships, but actually it's not terribly bad news. So first we have to accept the North Atlantic right whale population from this entire picture. That still is a very threatened population. The North Atlantic right whale is a type of baleen whale. But before they spun the North Atlantic right whale off as its own thing, if you just counted it as among the baleen whales. Baleen whales have actually made a very good recovery, but to just look specifically at our friend, our endangered friend, the North American right whale, still a bad situation. They say fewer than 400 left. And it might be about that type of whale that messages about saving the whales are still addressing like this one. There lives
0: our mightiest ally in the fight against climate change tending vast floating rainforests that are a vital support system for all of life on Earth.
1: Greta Thunberg and someone needs to replenish her oxygen. No, wait, that's not right. Here's who the whale and dolphin conservation advocacy group really is referring to.
0: They are climate giants. They are whales. They need us and we need them.
1: And even with these unusual mortality events noted in New York and New Jersey, even with all of that, what we have done for the whales is remarkable, acknowledging what we did to the whales for centuries before that wasn't nice at all. But the picture is in 1970, humpback whales were listed as endangered. And you heard that stat from the Star Trek movie that was 1986. Well, now some countries have actually removed the humpback from their endangered list. That's how much the species has thrived. The U.S. has different types of populations, different pods that they grade as threatened or endangered, but most of them are not threatened or endangered. And officially, the humpback whale status is listed as under the least concerned among the threatened species. The Organization for the Rescue and Research of Cetaceans does a whale census. It's just in New South Wales. Don't want to confuse you. That's part of Australia. Spelled differently, the two whales. But 30 years ago, these whale watchers would observe 300 whales in their census. These days, 33,000 The International Union for the Conservation of Nature, it's official body that applies the status levels to species, says there are 84,000 humpback whales today. In fact, the best explanation for the unusual events is that there are so many whales, some are bound to be hit by ships. It's sad, but unavoidable. Although they are whales, you'd think the people on board would, I don't know, have better radar. Whale can't really sneak up on you, can it? But in general, I say that even though headlines are about unusual events and pictures are about dead whales on beaches, we generally did a really good job. You know what we did? We saved the whales. Not all of them, but more than I think we had reason to believe was possible. Good job, humanity. Now can we get word out about uglier, creepier animals? For instance, the giant flightless darking beetle, an endangered insect that occupies dead trees in the Seychelles. Let's get Captain Kirk and Cheech on this one. And Now the spiel. You're playing in the NCAA tournament. You're down late in a tight game. You're going to need grit, perseverance, athleticism, smarts. But apparently there's one thing you almost never need. They don't need a three. Well, you don't need a three, I mean. You don't need a three in this situation. Don't need a three here. The three-point shot is clearly a friend to the trailing team with time dwindling. But according to all these announcers, you just don't need one.
0: Three-point game, McKenjo to tie it, no, short. Bacon clears the rebound,
1: you didn't need it. I thought that was a little bit too early. In some situations, this is technically true. Not making a three-pointer won't actually take your chances of winning to zero. You told these guys, don't foul, get a quick deuce here if you can. You're down five, you don't need a three, you just need a basket. In that game, there were 33 seconds left and Memphis was down five. Memphis didn't need a three. They didn't get a three and they lost. But in other situations, the announcers will say it just because these words seem to be part of the wise announcers who know never to panic creed.
0: Now you got to keep the ball in front and you got to look to attack if you're Wisconsin. You do not need the three necessarily. You need to score quickly. Davis
1: misses. That was when Wisconsin was down seven points with 35 seconds left to play. Deb Antonelli saying, You don't need a three, unless the next phrase is, Because you're not going to win anyway, you could very well use a three. It is true, there are often, technically, paths to success that don't include making a three-pointer, but left unacknowledged is just how much harder it is to make a comeback without threes. The typical late-game strategy when trailing is for your team to score, then to foul your opponent. This puts him or her in the women's tournament on the free throw line where they can make up to two points. But you see how the math works here? You score a two-pointer, then allow your opponent to make up to two points. It leaves you in the position of never making up ground, but a three, so tantalizing because so forbidden, allows you to eat into your opponent's lead, even if the opponent is nailing free throws. Plus, and follow me on this, a three is worth 50% more than a two. Don't tell it to Steve Lapis. But you don't have to take three now. Or Grant Hill. You don't need a three in this situation, but something quick would be good if you're USC. Or Jim Spinarkel. I would think that Purdue would try to get a quick hitter here. They don't need a three. All of those teams said to not need a three, didn't get a three, and they all lost. Here's an example of an open-ended dialogue between a play-by-play announcer and the color announcer, Lisa Byington, earnestly asking Avery Johnson if he thought... They needed a three. Does it have to be a three? Do you go for a three here? No, you don't need a three. You need the best shot. Here's Brian Anderson asking his partner, Jim Jackson, a similar question. Creighton Ball here set us up for this possession. Well, you don't need a three. I mean, it's been your ally 12 for 26 from behind the three-point line. If you get a drive and kick, you take it. Wow, there was 49 seconds left. Creighton was down three points And they had already made 12 three-pointers. The only reason they were in this game against top-ranked Kansas was that they were making three-pointers. Creighton, being advised there against shooting three-pointers, was shooting 46% from three-point land and 29% from anywhere closer to the basket. In that case, I would say, actually, you can't risk a two. Jim Jackson is apparently so three-averse that in his next game his play-by-play announcer brian anderson practically told him jim just tell everyone that they need a three let's hear jim's answer to that
0: remaining so if you're houston you haven't shot the three ball well all night but you gotta have them at this point jim well
1: you do but here it comes well you do but if you can get a quick two try to set up your defense and see if you can force a turnover especially if you can funnel Villanova to the corner. Now, the three is available, you take... Yeah, that didn't work. Houston lost. Why do all these announcers hate threes? They advise against taking the shot more than a guest on Joe Rogan. I have a theory. Announcers are of a little older generation than players and coaches. They're a little conservative, a little cranky, a little out of touch with the makeability and the glory of the three. They treat college players like they're all too impulsive, not patient, prone to lose their heads. All this argues for the slow and steady pursuit of the two-pointer. But it doesn't comport with the three-pointer as it's currently understood, a viable option to pursue in almost any situation and especially in late-game situations while trailing. There's also an assumption that the non-three, the two-pointer, is just so easy, but it's not. Have you seen how tall some of those guys around the basket are? Announcers are treating threes like their Hail Mary passes in football, or like their three pointers from 1986, when they were new and scary and rare in the college game. Here's Steve Lapis accusing Memphis of pursuing what actually is optimal strategy. They were clearly looking for a three point shot there, but you don't have to look for a three point shot where it's, you're really. Take a- I did find some exceptions to this triscophobia. The great announcers like Bill Raftery and Ion Eagle don't instinctively warn against the three. And then there was this guy. If you can come down and score a three quickly, perhaps you don't have to foul. Oh, that was Reggie Miller before Steph Curry, the greatest three-point shooter in the history of basketball. At least Reggie Miller didn't abandon his muse, his instrument, his moneymaker. So many of our anointed sages are want to doubt the power of the three, and then quick to bury the shooter who fails to bury the three. Seem a little desperate with the threes. Too too fast. We are all desperate for the three. We live by the three and die by the three. We've redefined the game around the three, but our announcers can never seem to admit it. And if you're USC, Arizona, TCU, Davidson, Baylor, UCLA, a whole lot of other teams who didn't get that one clutch three, you know just how much you need the three. The three is really, really, really important. It's worth so much. One more than the two, but infinitely more than the three never taken. War is the producer of The Gist and Joel Patterson's brackets are busted, though he remains The Gist senior producer. I will talk to you on Monday.